the best he could find was the value of the decline of the dollar and what the value was in 1930 versus today, 2019. He says, what do you think that is? I'm like, hell, I have no frame of reference. I'm guessing it's, it's big. I'll know what it is. Well, he said in 1930, what we could buy for a dollar is the same. It takes $220 today to get the same. Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Aaron Chapman. Aaron is an experienced real estate lender who specializes in working with investors. Today, we're going to talk about the power of goal setting, long-term goal setting and short-term goal setting, the power of inflation in driving your returns and how that can impact your returns, and Aaron's story about how he got from where he came from to now being a lender with uh, with. 20 years worth of experience and experiencing multiple market cycles. It's a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. I think you're going to enjoy it as well. Without further ado, here's Aaron Chapman. Aaron, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Taylor, man. I appreciate you being willing to get up early in the morning. And it's not been an easy morning to get up to, man, but it's good to be here. So I'm seeing you on the video here. And there's this, for folks that are just listening, he's in a, what looks like a hundred year old log cabin. What's the story? Like, how do you, what's the deal there? And yeah, I think this is approaching a hundred years old. I believe it was built in the early 1900s, like 1920. Um, and you know, this place where I'm at is seven acres of Ozark mountain property. This is my office here. I've got a cabin next door, which used to be an old chapel. And that is my, uh, that's where I, I stay. And I just barely was able to move into it literally just this last week. Cause I would come out here like once a month and I would stay in hotels. I'm in Branson, Missouri. I'm just outside of Branson where I'm sitting now. And I had contractors working on this. It was driving me nuts. But how I got here, interesting story. Years ago, I was out to dinner with a friend of mine and his wife, with my wife. And and at the end of the night, as he's walking away, he said, hey, I got something coming up that's really, really big. I can't tell you all of it because it'll change your life. I'm like, okay. And that's huge. He goes, just, just you, you got you to trust me. As he walks away, he's like, I'm going to change your life, man. And he just kept going. And, you know, I, did, I, I didn't know what that might be. And then I got uh, a call from some guys from another company the, that he said he gave him my name, you know, another lending firm. And he had just closed on purchasing. He and his partner just purchased a big real estate um, agency. You know, it was called Realty Executives in Arizona. They bought the entire franchise for, um, for Phoenix. He already had a successful commercial real estate business. We just made a deal with this company to be their preferred guys to do all their, their lending. They called me up and said, hey, Joel said that um, you'd be a good guy for us to, to try and bring aboard. And um, going through the process of, of the interviews and the background checks, they said, hey, we want you to come to, to our corporate headquarters in Sacramento. But before you do that, you need to write, you need to do this. And they gave me this five-year exercise. Now, I was never big into the goal setting or the vision casting or any of that kind of stuff. And these guys were making me do this. Well, one of the guys uh, is the, um, the CEO of their company is one of the owners of um, a large, a pretty heavy coaching firm called the core. And one of his partners is within the, within the firm. And they wrote this, these books about how to be successful in our industry. And part of it was being able to write things down. So I said, yeah, I'll take them up on that. So I went ahead and just start just to figure I'd write this whole thing out, but I didn't know how to start. Well, the CEO sent out his five-year exercise, which is really kind of a, hey, this is what I want to have done in the next five years. I have a lot of bullet points in it, and I get it. I mean, it works. If whatever you have to do to put that down, but I couldn't, I couldn't get emotionally tied to a bullet point. You know, um, 
So I decided to take a twist on that and write myself a letter five years in the future looking backwards. Interestingly enough, this November will be five years. And as I wrote that all down, I started off by putting myself in a specific setting, uh, describing the environment. I'm sitting along the trail next to my Jeep with my wife around the fire. I could hear the steak searing in the background. I went this full description of what I wanted to accomplish. And interestingly enough, looking at that now, a lot of those, uh, all of it's been accomplished in different ways, though. I mean, I wrote down a certain volume I wanted to produce. I overdid that in units of, of loans closed, not in the actual dollar volume. So I blew way past what my goal was because of the time I work with real estate investors mostly. And then there's some other things in there that just happened in a really wild way. And I started seeing that occur. So I decided I'm going to start writing things down that I want to accomplish. And to, in 2017, I was intent on blowing the doors off of any goal I'd ever set production-wise. I wanted to close 600 transactions in 2017. So I tried that same process of writing it down. So I just closed on some properties in the northern Ozarks of Arkansas because that was all, that's a whole other cool story. But you know, I closed on these two lots, and and actually, it's great. there's some really cool parts of that story. But it's going to suck up a lot of time. I um, I just closed on those in December of 2016. It was February of 17. I wanted this goal for the year, so I put myself in a position that I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to put myself sitting on my porch in my rocking chair, overlooking the Ozark Mountain landscape, thinking back on 2017, kind of putting myself on that lot. Uh, where I'd maybe have built a house or something. But that's all I described was sitting in my rocking chair on my porch, overlooking the Ozark Mountain landscape, looking back on 2017 and the 600 plus transactions that we had closed as a team. And I just started describing how we did that and the rest of my day that was I was writing about. Well, a few weeks have passed, maybe two. And then I get a call from my senior executive VP asking me how important is the state of Missouri to me? I'm like, I don't know. Let me look. Well, it turned out to be 12% of my production. I said, well, it looks fairly important. He goes, yeah. He goes, we got a problem. So what's the problem? That we just lost our brick and mortar in the state. I'm like, well, what do you mean lost our brick and mortar? He goes, we had one licensed loan originator that lived in the state. We licensed his house as our office. And now we don't have a licensed office there. And the state requires you have an office there. Um, and he had quit. So now we, we lack the ability to continue to do business there. And they're going to uh, suspend our licenses in 19 days. Like, ah, crap, man, what are we going to do? And he says, well, we're going to put some ads out on Facebook and Monster and see what we can get now that we know it's important. And I'm like, like, dude, that doesn't sound very, very impressive. Do you mind if I just solve the problem? He goes, sure, what are you going to do? He's like, my sister lives in Missouri. She used to work with me back in the countrywide days. Let me just give her a call. He's like, dude, fine. You want to handle it? Handle it. It's like, perfect. And so I just jumped in this because I don't trust these guys because it's, well, I have to trust them a little bit, but I didn't trust them to solve that problem quickly because it wasn't a big issue to them, right? Um, massive issue to me. I'd just taken on two new big, big clients in St. Louis and in Kansas City. They're sending me a lot of business. So I called my sister up. She answers the phone. It's like, hey, you want to get licensed? Because you haven't talked to me in six months, and all you ask is you want to get licensed? I'm like, yeah, is that a problem? I need somebody to get licensed in the state and come work for me. Well, then she paused. I can hear her kind of choke up. Her voice cracked, and, and she says, um, "My, I just lost my job. I was cleaning condos for a guy, and he just sold them, you know, because this is a big vacation town. It was my husband's job is good, but it's not meeting all our needs. And I just, I, and when we, Jim and I were talking about that last night, he said, why don't you call your brother? She goes, and here you are on the phone the next morning. 
I said, so is that a yes? She goes, yeah, it's a yes. I got got right past the whole emotional piece of it, just went straight towards, I've got a a mission, right? And um, so then I booked flights and flew out here two days later or three days later. It was a Thursday. I called her on Monday, came out here on a Thursday. And me and my wife and my son uh, went straight to her house, ran a car, went right to her house. She, I, I pulled up, called her, said, we're outside. She comes running out. Just come in and see the kids. She had two kids I'd never met before. I'm like, no, get your ass in the car. We're going to go look at these places because I needed commercial real estate. Um, actually, no, let, let me let me, let me me back up there. I even got a head right there. So sure. she went ahead and decided she'd get the licensing piece, right? And she went through the whole process of 20 hours of education. She had to get um, get ready for this test. In the meantime, you know, we're getting closer to our deadline where our licenses are going to go inactive and then have everybody calling me say, are you ready? You're ready. You're going to get that. You get that license done. Cause they were freaking out. They had a bunch of deals in my hands. And um, then the test day came and I was walking around just pacing like a caged tiger waiting for the phone ring. And then finally that afternoon, my phone rang with her number on. I was excited. I'm like, finally, this is done. I answered the phone waiting for the good news. And I could hear sobbing on the other end of the line. And so my heart sunk and it literally just, I, I didn't know what was going to happen there. And she starts just apologizing. She missed it by one question. So now she had 30 days till she could retake the test. And she's apologizing, apologizing, apologizing. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's all cool. I've got another plan. She goes, well, what's that? I said, I'm going to solve the problem. I'm coming there on Thursday. I'm booking flights now. I need you to find me every place I can rent and everything I can buy that is commercial because I need to move my licenses and five of the states, uh, five of the 24 states I'm licensed in require commercial brick and mortar for me to stay active in their state. Um, so if this is my home home office, I have to have that. So I flew out there on Thursday and as I was just saying, we drove up to her house. She asked us to come in and see the kids. Like, no, get your ass in the car. We're going to go look at these places. And they showed me the perfect little spot is a little office in a senior center owned by the city that was going to be vacant. And they could um, they could put me in there for a very, very, very low rent, like 300 bucks a month. Like, perfect. Let's take it. So we'll start making the deal. So I went and talked to her over the city, start making the deal work. Right. And then on the way back to her house, she goes, Jim wanted me to take you by this place. My cool. So we pulled up. And there was these two. I mean, we pulled up and there was just it, it looked like these two structures kind of you could see covered in vines and vegetation as we got out of these two old cabins with a deck between them just right off the road and we started walking through them and you know one of the doors was open we was able to get in it um and then but we didn't went ahead and called the realtor to come open them both up and as we're walking through i just really kind of fell in love with this place and i looked at my wife said what do you think she goes let's buy them so cornered the realtor and she says uh, i said do you think we'll get the uh, seller to carry she goes he's never carried before uh, a lot of people have asked and they won't do it. I said, well, we're going to ask because you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. Yeah. So I had picked up the deal and they accepted it. They negotiated with us on the price a little bit, but they brought it down, down about 10,000 from where they had uh, started. And when she got the accepted offer, she goes, I cannot believe this, that this does not make sense. The seller would do this. It was, it was the, uh, the children of the guy who put these here back in, I think the sixties or seventies. He had one was a little chapel. This one was a gift shop. And um, they accepted the offer. So we jumped at it. We closed. And I flew back home and I came back literally a, a, a quick turn and burn. Came back out here to meet a contractor to see what is it going to take to rehab these places, right? And so I put, I, we, I flew in, got the rental car, cruised straight over here, called my sister, say, I'm going to the cabins. I got to meet that uh, contractor. Pulled up, 
walked down from the from the uh, from the road down the steps to the deck. So I stepped on the deck. I looked to the left, and on the porch of this cabin was a rocking chair sitting there. I ran over. I'm like, hell yeah, I got a rocking chair, and I'm kicking back in my rocking chair. And then it hit me, and I pulled out my notepad out of my 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 uh, backpack that I had, and I read it, where it says, "I'm sitting in my rocking chair on my porch." overlooking the Ozark mountain landscape, thinking back on 2017, those 600 transactions we closed. And I, and just, I was just overwhelmed. I goosebumps. I'm like, holy cow, two months and two days earlier, I wrote this down, but I was thinking the Ozark mountains of, of Northern Arkansas, not Ozarks of Missouri, because we're in Southern Missouri in the Northern part of the Ozarks. Like, wow. And then my sister pulls up and she's got this really loud voice. She's like, You're not supposed to see that yet. Like, how did this get here? She goes, your wife called last week and said in, make sure a rocking chair is waiting for him when he gets there. So the real lesson that I learned, it's another reinforcement. You write it down, it comes about, right? So you have to concentrate your mind. You got to write it down. You got to focus your energy on that. And then you got to share it with people you care about. And that care about Especially your wife. Exactly, especially your wife. And <laughs> ultimately, they will make things happen that you're not thinking about because you're concentrating on the goal. Right. And she made sure that that rocking chair was there. And I accomplished what I'd written down in a short order. Now, since then, we've had conversations. She goes, you need to stop writing stuff down. <laughs> She's literally starting to choke me because <laughs> we don't need all this crap right now. Um, and because when I get focused on something, it just happens. So I encourage a lot of people. So now I have a series of books coming out. There's four of them that are written right now. Um, and they they the first one is that story. So I, what I did is I wrote one big book. And instead of having um, one big book, uh, I, I found that there's a lot of filler um, when you're doing multiple, when you're doing a book and you're trying to cover a lot of ground. Mm, yep. And so what I decided to do was cut it up because it's just, you know, Cliff Notes has made a fortune off of taking all the filler <laughs> out of people's books, taking 100 pages to down to 15. So that's what I decided. It's like, I'm not going to do anything more than 30 pages. And I'm going to do a bunch of little books and dive deep on the subject. There's only so much you need to give. If you look when you're reading people's stuff, there's so much filler that I've got to keep their attention. So four of them are coming out. The first one has to do with that. Awesome. Well, that is quite the story. And there's a you know lesson in there for sure, writing the goals down and then relentlessly pursuing them and sharing them with others. That's That's all great. So can you tell us more about your, you know, I'd like to cover your background too, so the listeners know exactly where you're coming from and what you provide for, you know, the real estate investing community? Well, background's a little different too. So if we get into the background piece of it, you know, I started off life in, you know, um, when I left high school, I was able to graduate halfway through my senior year, how I did that, I have no clue. Um, but, um, you know, I, I was able to take off and go to work in the oil fields of Wyoming at 18 years old. And then, so I was always working in that type of environment. I was on a cattle ranch in high school and then, uh, did the oil field thing Then I worked at running heavy equipment, driving truck. I worked in the mines in Northern New Mexico. When that got shut down, I ended up finding myself looking for a job and I had a wife and infant son. And there was a day that um, we were completely broke and, I was hunting for this job and I went over to a landscape company and was getting, you know, putting in for $10 an hour to uh, drive a landscape materials truck. And they even shot me down. So when I wow. left there, I had, a, I had a coupon for, I mean, I, I remember sitting in their parking lot crying because I couldn't, I was that, I was that beat at that point. Um, and I thought I could easily get one because I had such a big resume, but that's what, that was actually my problem. 
I was too, had, my qualifications were exceeded anything they were looking for. And they knew the second I got another job, I'd be out of there. $10 an hour I wasn't going to stick around for. Yeah. Um, and so on my way back, my wife had given me a coupon for diapers for my infant son. And um, as I'm driving home, my gas light pops on, on my truck. And so I pulled up to a grocery store. I had a, uh, a gas station out front. I swiped my debit card and it got declined. Oh, man. Uh, so oh, I had man. no cash. So I dug through my truck looking for change. And I started walking through the parking lot for about two hours to find enough change to get a couple gallons of gas. And luckily, gas back then was only 98 cents because if it was today, I'd have been there for like six hours. Um, then I went into the grocery store, found the corresponding diapers with that coupon, paid for them, came out, and I ran face-to-face with a guy I used to work with at a company I ran heavy equipment for. And um, he asked me how things are going. I explained. He goes, let me take you to dinner. So he had a gift certificate for Red Lobster before gift cards. This is back in 97. Um, took me and my wife to dinner the following night, actually. And he introduced me to the lending industry. And I knew nothing about this. So he introduced me as broker. I met with those guys. I cut a foot off of my hair. I cleaned up. I went in there as a telemarketer in 1997, over 20, you know, 21 years ago. 20, I'll be 22 come, uh, come December. So that's how I started in the industry. And now it evolved from... <clears throat> Just, you know, at the time, it was just taking in inbound calls from the advertising for people who want to refi to eventually in 2003, I figured out the real estate investor that they were out there. And it was no longer this emotional battle to get people to try and buy a house and, and get them in the perfect house on the perfect street with the perfect kitchen. And life will be perfect when you close, even though it sucks right now. And you deserve this house you can't, can't afford because it's your right as an American, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the prevailing thing at that time that led up to the crash. But the real estate investor has is different. They've evolved from a consumer spending money and going into debt to now a business owner. And that's what we go into. I help them to take their mindset away from this consumer. It's being sucked into just cash on cash return and cash flow and low interest rate and all these things to you're the CEO of a real estate investment business. You're running this organization. And anytime you buy property and you take on the, those who source it, and acquire it and rehab it and manage it and maintain it. That's your operations division <clears throat> that comes free with the acquisition of your deal. Like there's no way that's free because I'm paying, you know, for the for the house and they they've got to be making money there. And then I'm paying, you know, eight to ten percent on my rents. So they're making money there. And I'm like, you're gonna get that anyway. You know, if you bought a house at market value that a real estate agent listed, that agent gets paid, right? Mm-hmm. Where's the agent after you close? Gone. Gone, right? What what do you yeah. get from that agent after that? You get a picture of her and her damn cat at Christmas time, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Said that to a client one time around Christmas time. He goes, Dude, I got a picture of my agent and her damn cat right here. So it was it was it was a confirmation that that's real. And um and then you know, you gotta go find your own property manager and go through four or five of them and lose money and all the battle, then putting anybody in there just so they could say, Hey, we did our job. But when you're dealing with the right people. And you find the right people to put in your business. All that stuff is handled for you. You've got their experience. You don't have to learn all these things to be able to run your business. They run it for you. And that's where the free comes, all that experience that comes. Have you ever heard the term good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment? No, I haven't heard that, but I like it. Yeah, and, and so it, it goes to prove that we learn the best from getting our ass kicked. That's just how it works. These guys did for dozens of years and they're able to take that and put it to work for you because if you're successful in your real estate investment venture they're successful right their business takes off so on the flip side of that i tell them i'm applying for the fractional cfo job what i mean by that is is 
you know, I, I am here to help you navigate the financial piece of it to be successful in the acquisition and expansion of your real estate business. And I will never speculate and I'll never theorize about your business. I'll give them practical data. And how I can do that is there's 300,000 people in the United States licensed to do loans. I'm what they call a licensed loan originator. And when you look at the statistics, the average person closes between two and three transactions per month. So if you're working with just Joe Lender over there and he closes, say, you know, 50 transactions a year, that's the experience he draws from to give you practical information to make decisions. Now, last year, I closed 707 for real estate investors. The year before was 676. You know, it's 2017. When I wrote that down, my 600 units, um, I closed 676. Then I've been doing this since 97. I, we know a little bit about the space. I've seen a lot of people fail. I've seen a lot of people make good decisions and where they've succeeded. That's where having me and, and where I put myself at, a member as a member of your board table, a trusted advisor at your board table is the benefit because you can come to me with how do I handle this problem? Or, or what about this particular issue? I can, instead of you having to go through the experience of learning how to deal with that, I can share with you how somebody else did. And I have to tell everybody, before you close, like you know, one of the big things that we run into is they get really excited about real estate. And they go off, start buying the people, the things cash, trying to do that burst strategy. And everybody I talk to them say, you are not allowed to close on a cash purchase till I see it. I have to see the paperwork. I have to know the deal before you actually go in and close. And in fact, I even tell some, you need to, uh, even though we're on the phone, you got to promise me you're raising your right hand right now and repeat after me. I will not close unless Aaron Chapman sees the, the <laughs> preliminary settlement statement, you know, and they still do it. Even though I tell them you can't close till I see it, they still do it. So people need to just remember, get your board of advisors and talk to them, bring them into the deal, understand it before you close. Don't get so excited about the, oh, the cash on cash return look awesome. It's never right. You know, so a lot of the mistakes people make are one, they're, they're jumping there too fast or they're trying to time the market. Two things, they're, they're kicking it all has to do with timing, right? Either too quick or too slow. The other is, um, is where they're just looking at the numbers. Well, this performer looked awesome. Why is it not looking like the performer now that I own the deal? The performer is a guess. In fact, I've got a close friend of mine who's also a client, is a professor of accounting at Kennesaw State University. And he says, performa is Greek for made up. There's not a damn bit of it real. <laughs> right. right? So I tell them, find who you want at your board, then use their pro forma as a way to decide which property you want. Not to compare people between the pro formas, because none of those performers are accurate. But once you decide on the property, then you take that pro forma that you use to decide with, you look at it closely, you, you wad it up and throw it away because it will serve no purpose after that. Now we get into the real deal. And so I ask them, and I'll ask you, what is the most valuable part of a, a real estate transaction? Where, where's the most I value? I think from my end, you know, I do syndications, with, which involves bigger teams. And, you know, we have various people on the management team, all that. So for me, I find the biggest value is in the quality uh, and experience of the management team and the general partnership team. See, I can't argue with it at all. Because I think that having the right team is the number one. To get into the nuts and bolts of the real estate itself, uh, the monetary value, as far as I'm concerned, when you mm -hmm. get to the monetary side of it, I would say the ability to leverage it. Now, tell everybody, leverage is where your is your is your most valuable part of the deal. Your ability to leverage, you know, and we're going we're dealing with consumers, right? We 72% of the U.S. economy is consumption, right? Mm -hmm. I think it may be a little bit different than that now, but that was a statistic back in 2018. 
Um, in fact, in 2018, I'd learned that in 2017, that 19 plus percent of the global economy was the U.S. consumer. Wow. Like 19.7 percent. Yeah. Wow. That's staggering, isn't it? Yeah. So what we have to do is we have to take people from becoming a consumer where they're thinking they're spending money and going into debt to now believing that they are the CEO of this business and then understanding that the leverage is the biggest return. Now, what I mean by that yes. is we live in an inflationary Very. environment, correct? I you don't know, but I, I believe today? it's stated by the government as basically being nothing, which I also don't believe that statistic. They say it's 2%. Right. Well, they go off of the CPI, which is the corporate, I guess, the core production index, I guess is what they call that. Um, and so that's a narrow, narrow index of what they're following. They don't put in food. They don't put in energy and they don't put in taxes. Those are not part of that. There's other things that are not factored in. There's a couple other little some other monkey math. But the basics are are this. So when was the last time that um, you went into the grocery store, bought the same items and none of them were on Never. sale and they went down in price? Yeah, doesn't happen. When was the last time you paid less per kilowatt hour on your power? On your I don't power think bill? ever, unless I, I don't know, I, I moved at one point to a very different area. The rates might have been lower, but uh, that, yeah, but I mean, I don't know about that area, right? Right. And then um, when you're talking about the um, the cost per gallon used, that doesn't go down. When was the last time your the taxes per dollar earned went down? Unless you got some some uh, tax deductions, it doesn't go down. You know, your whatever you show as actual taxable income, it keeps going up. Well, there's a place called ShadowStats.com or Shadow Statistics, and that was actually shared with me by that you know professor of a Kennesaw State because he heard me on a podcast talk about this. Said, "Dude, I need you to come speak to my students." Then it went from there to now we're working on the curriculum together, and some really cool things are being done. But he showed me the Shadow Stats and another thing called the Chapwood Index, and it adds this stuff back in. So the government tells us that the cost of Living is only increasing by two percent, but it's it's actually between wow. five and seven percent per year. So, so we're looking at this. I'm like, okay, so you've got we're in an inflationary environment. We all understand that. So that means we get to raise rent as as uh, in, as investors, right, on the properties yes. that we own. You know what the national average is as far I'd as probably, my guess would be two and a half percent. I think I saw that somewhere. Maybe am I on the mark? Pretty close. The most recent thing I had seen was 3.6% okay. was the national okay. average. Okay, so I'm under. Because there's some I'm places under. that are even a lot more than that. Um, so let's just say, I mean, because, so let's just go right in the middle between what you just said and what, what, I, what I recall the national average to be. And I don't have that in front of me, so I'm going off of recollection. So if somebody wants to send a message in, say Aaron's wrong and he sucks, it's less than that or more than that, feel <laughs> And so let's say 3%. So we're going to talk about a $100,000 acquisition. And we're going to go run percent rent to value ratio. So we're going to talk to the, the, the non-syndicated people, the people just getting started. So 1% rent to value ratio is how much? thousand bucks, right? So what's 3% of a thousand? <laughs> 30 bucks. I'm sorry, you're going to do math this morning. That's just the way it's going to work. No, 30 bucks. Is I that mean, I like, I, If I have, you're handing me $30, man, I'll take it, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm exactly. Because I, 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 I could stand to get a bigger sure. latte, right? Why not? But that doesn't, 30 bucks doesn't go very far, right? So 30 bucks, big damn deal. But does it seem plausible that a $100,000 rent per month where you get about $200 yeah, a month that's in cash definitely flow right achievable. now? Yeah. Definitely yeah. achievable. So, but if you raise rent the next year, your $200 a month went to 230, right? Yeah. So your yeah, cash flow went up. Well, by how much did that cash flow go up by? What percentage? Right? 15%. Now it got yeah. sexy, right? I got yeah. a 15% increase in my cash flow. 
And if you were if you were lucky enough to buy in a place, or you strategically bought in a place, you keep raising rents on the regular. Now you got a compound effect of fifteen and fifteen and fifteen. It grows even more, right? But do we get do they get to raise the payment on the thirty year fixed loan no to pace inflation? No. They're, they said we're willing to accept the same dollar for the next thirty years, even though the dollar is losing a compound value. And you know when that hit me one day, I'm like, that's amazing. You know, and it just it was one day thinking about this stuff and I'd never heard anybody describe I heard them say, you know, the inflation eliminates the debt, but nobody said how. Then I got to thinking, wait a minute, I get to raise rent, but I'm paying them less and less and I get to keep the spread. That's absolutely awesome. Now let's think about what this spread is. So as I'm talking about this on another podcast, the host stops from about three quarters of the way through and he goes, Dude, um, we gotta go back to the inflation thing that you were talking about ten minutes ago. Um and he goes, I'm sorry I hadn't listened to you for the last ten minutes. I got fascinated <laughs> by the inflation thing. Like, well, it sounds like I'm at home, right? Because I can start talking and they, it's easy to ignore me. Well, he said that he started doing some quick research and found the best he could find was the value of the decline of the dollar and what the value was in 1930 versus today, 2019. He says, what do you think that is? I'm like, hell, I have no frame of reference. I'm guessing it's it's big. I don't know what it is. Well, he said in 1930, what we could buy for a dollar is the same. It takes $220 today to get the same. Like, there's no way that's right. He goes, well, let's talk about that. So we got to thinking about wages. A dollar a day wage does not seem like it'd be that far off in 1930, right? Today, $220 a day is 57000 and change per year. That's not far off. <laughs> when you think about that, that, that seems plausible. Now, is it 100%? It's hard to find this data. I'm looking around and... There's so much the, the the paperwork on it from the from uh, the government is so thick it's hard to figure out what's what when you start looking at all that but that seems about right so okay let's think about that as a benchmark so if you're a real estate investor taking a 30 year fixed mortgage out right and you're going to uh, rent your property out and you're going to be found a spot that you can reasonably raise rents at least one and a half to two percent a year let's say three percent every other year right so you know you got some compound effect there. But what exactly is the dollar going to do over that time frame? The best we can do is let's just say that is the that metric will will fly for the next 30 years. So 220 uh, percent is the loss in 89 years. So let's round up to 90. Be a little conservative. How many of your 30-year fixed mortgage periods will fit in a 90-year window? Three. Three. Three of them. So we take 220 divided by three. What do you get? This is going to be the hard one. Yeah. 79. 79. <laughs> 73.33. 73.33. 73.33. In fact, now you got me. No, it's 70. It's 73. You're right. It's just too early for me to be doing math in my head. Yeah, I had to memorize this crap. Otherwise, we'd just be sitting here listening to me just mumble. Um, so 220 divided by three is exactly 73.33. So that means yeah. the time from the time you close on that that deal and start paying the loan with somebody else's money the dollar you're paying back with will lose 73.33 times its value over that period look at the steep decline that that is so i'm guessing that somewhere between year 12 and year 14 this is 100 percent guess on my part because i've yet to be able to figure out the math is that we're paying it zero back so right now, the the professor and his students at Kennesaw State University is working on a tool to actually figure this out. Because he and I have been talking about it. I said, this is what I'm guessing we'll get there. And he goes, 
we'll, we'll figure it out. And so they sent me a tool that broke down the dollars devaluing at, at, at five to seven percent at any time. You can type in five or seven or whatever the rate of inflation is at that time. But the problem with it is that tool actually just starts a compound decline of the dollar. And it wasn't quite working because it's taking the smaller it's a percentage of the smaller dollar value. So it really doesn't doesn't erode out. So no, you have to figure it back in at the cost of um, of the of living expense eroding the dollars. You started at 100 and then the cost goes up. Therefore, it erodes at a faster pace than five to seven percent. Therefore, it's going to wipe out within 10 to within 12 to 14 years, I think. So we're going to actually figure that out and I'll be able to publish that to the world when our findings are done. Kind of makes me feel like an anthropologist. You know, I'm going to go dig up a bone in Iraq and I've got my college backing me up. Now I'm going to dig up the, 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 the real skeletons of, the, of inflation and expose this to the world that we're, we're the sole asset base that, or asset class that takes advantage of inflation. So get a 30-year fixed, ride that bitch all the way out for all 30 years. Don't pay it off early because you are, you're creating money out of thin air as the dollar devalues, as you get to raise rents and continue to increase your income as you decline what you pay it back with. That right there to me is the most powerful instrument ever seen. You know, you, you hear the compound interest is the, uh, is the H1 to the world. I think being able to use leverage to offset inflation is even bigger. You know, that right there is, is like the ninth wonder of the world, which just has never been discovered until now. You know, I stumbled across this dang thing, and, um, and it's, it's amazing. To me, it's exciting when I start talking about it. I'm spitting in the mic right now <laughs> as I'm going off about it. No, I think it's a, it's a very important point. And, you know, the, the broader society, you do hear about this inflation at least a little bit in, when you're in the real estate investing circle, but not, not super frequently, but it, it comes up because you know, we also have the gold bugs that get involved and like to talk about how terrible the dollar is and fiat currency and all that. But broader society, you know, the, the broader world talk about income and wealth inequality, and there's not even a, a mention of inflation and the long-term effects that inflation has on the average Joe person who maybe their salary, uh, many, many of whom their salary doesn't keep up with inflation. So over the course of a career from when you get started and in your case, what, 18, and in my case, my early 20s, over the course of your your career, that inflation, if you're not keeping up, really hammers the purchasing power, uh, can can really hammer the purchasing power of your, your W-2 income. So yet another reason people need to be investing in real estate. But it's inflation is definitely something that broader society doesn't talk about at all anymore. It was a topic when Jimmy Carter was in office, right? But since then, nobody, it doesn't come up at all. And it's not a good thing. And it's here to stay for sure. It's not going away. Oh, it is definitely not going on because we're used to it. You know, we, we just accept the fact we're just going to deal with inflation. And not only are we dealing with inflation of, you know, the cost of living, but people's expenses as a whole inflate in the fact that, you know, when we were younger, you know, and we, we you know, we start with, with no kids and then you have one kids and two and three. Now, now we have, I have four and, and I, me and my wife have yet to discuss having kids. They just start <laughs> showing up. But the cost of life continues to grow. And um, and when you add that in with the cost of, of just living as a whole going up, man, it can be it can it can be tough, be very, very tough. When I just tell people, listen, it's going to suck. 
Life is going to get hard. What you need is digging and keep moving forward. You need to have that goal, have to decide what you want, and you don't stop till you get there. And then when you get there, when you reach your peak, when you reach your Everest, don't sit back, don't relax because that bitch will kill you. You keep moving. And then you're going to go right back up it again. So you got your next Everest and then your next one. And sometimes you're not going to meet it in the time frame you give it. So you have to go back down, you know, you recuperate and head right back up that thing. You never stop. The second we lay down is the second we die. And that's how uh, we have to look at everything is it's going to beat you up. It's going to get you there. But eventually you're going to get through this life. You know, the way I figure, um, you know, bruised, bleeding, missing limbs, I'm going to cross my finish line. And I deal with a lot of people that are so intent on retiring, especially early. It's like, I'm going to retire early. I'm going to retire at 40 years old. I was thinking that at one point. I was on track in my 20s and 30s. I got in a motorcycle accident and put me in a wheelchair. I had to learn how to walk again, all these things. Wow. I had to restart several times. Wow. And I decided at that point, and when I realized that you can never guarantee anything in life but you, you can guarantee your drive and your ability to move forward. So I decided I'm no longer looking to retire. When I come to the grave, I'm coming in hot. I mean, like a meteor hitting that grave site. And I'm going to dig my own damn hole with my carcass. And, um, you know, because I feel that there's more to be accomplished if I just keep moving. And I'm not willing to just throw in the towel and quit no matter what. I don't care how much money I have. It's not about the money. It's about me adding value to the rest of the world. And if it's, you know, starting up my YouTube channel, if it's getting my books out, if it's doing loans, I don't care what it is. Add some value to somebody other than me because I'm, to me, I'm the most invaluable person in my life. Everybody else needs to be valuable. The goals that I accomplished sitting here today because of other people, you know, I wrote it, but they made it happen. So that's why I have to just convey to everybody, decide what you want, get the right people around you, go freaking get it. And when things don't go right, don't bitch about them. Don't point the finger at them, point the finger back at you because something you didn't do. I love it. And, Always you know, I love it. Way. I think we should all try to have that mentality. I mean, my, my grandfather passed away early this year and he was uh, 92 and they had a, wood stove heating their house in the like the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, living on the farm, wood stove heating the house until January. And he was 92. He cut the wood. Now, granted, he got help from some of my uncles doing it, but he would go cut the trees down, cut the wood, make the fire every day. And he was still working on the farm, man. He had pacemaker and, you know, all kinds of stuff. He had to set limits he could only his doctor told him he could only work for five minutes and then he did a rest for 15 so i'll tell you what man he was working for five minutes and then as soon as that five minutes came he was staring at his watch till he was allowed to work again yeah <laughs> so yeah my dad's in, his, in his early 70s and he's doing the same thing he will not heat his house with power he he'll cut oh. a half a truckload of wood every single day during the cooler months and actually one of the four books the third book has a picture of him out there with the chainsaw that he he used to use back in the 70s his old steel chainsaw that was that was built in the 1960s and it's still original it's never been rebuilt it still runs wow and he goes out there and he cuts his wood and he, he heats his house so same thing these guys are going strong this guy he's gonna you know sometimes i think he's gonna outlive me and, and right behind me here's an old wood stove this thing's 118 wow. years old and that's going in the place next wow. door when it's 100 done um so i do it's interesting what you're saying here is just ringing with me you stay active you keep moving you never stop. And then when eventually it's time to stop, you'll just stop, but you'll have accomplished some things and you've had a pretty, I would think yeah, a pretty people will, life. People will remember you after you're gone. Uh, yeah, there's a picture somewhere. I'm trying to find a copy of it. Of uh, It was probably five years ago. So my grandfather would have been in his late 80s uh, of, that was captured of him on a trail cam, just a trail cam that one of my uncles put out to you know spot deer and stuff. 
walking through the woods with a chainsaw in his hand because he's going and cutting down the trees. And that is, I know, man, yeah, I know picture. I need to find it. I've, I've asked around and, uh, nobody knows where it is. I'll, I'll keep up the pursuit, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's the way to live your life no matter what. I mean, I, I don't, I don't particularly enjoy going, cutting trees down, but, uh, no matter what you're doing, you need to keep going. Dude, that's my yeah. damn zen, dude. That is yeah. my damn zen, dude. Sitting on a chainsaw. There was one time I got asked by this youth camp to come in and get wood for them. And I'm like, cool. You know, how many of you got? We got 500 people, kids on this youth camp doing this big old, big old hike. And we want to get them to this one campsite and have wood. Dude, I took down so many trees and we had, we had razors running the trees. I'm bucking trees to like get them out there and they're chopping up. We ended up having enough wood. I could have filled this cabin. I just got down to the saw. I was having a, I found a nice dead stand and I was going to work. I love that. It's it's Power awesome. Getting outside. I have a blast. So we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsor. Okay, Aaron, I have three questions I ask every interviewee at the end of the show. Are you ready? All right. Fire away. Uh, and who right. knows? I may I, I may give you the wrong your answer. answer. There's no there are no wrong answers. Oh, that might be true. First one, what is the best investment you ever made? really was the best investment was in myself sitting down and understanding um the concept of thinking about it and putting it down on paper and cementing it into the universe that's the absolute best investment um i have some great investments monetarily um that have paid out phenomenally i had some that paid out over three thousand percent it was a great investment but um if i didn't have my head right and i wasn't in the right place and i wasn't looking at things properly, i would never have noticed it i would never bought into that and if i didn't have the guts to step into because it, it was un unsure and unfamiliar territory and I had the balls to step out there and actually jump into it and it paid out awesome you know so um that that's where I think is the best investment for me personally the second is in my kids um I have a whole and this is for a whole other podcast I've got my kids now involved nice. in everything nice. that I do all right well yeah like you said I'm sure that's a a whole couple hours worth of discussion on the other side of that what is the worst investment you ever made uh again <laughs> myself Seriously. Um, and that I can say all day long is because I chose certain things. I thought, OK, this is what Aaron Chapman wants. And I got really, really selfish and all about me. And because of that, the direction I was heading in life, uh, it, that it was a it was literally a, a divine gift of an accelerated education. When I got my ass kicked by that motorcycle accident. I woke up in a hospital uh, with my leg shattered and um, I learned about me and the direction I was going and that I was actually I was on a self-destructive path and it woke me up. And I got to see uh, people that, that surrounded me, the people that cared, that before that day, I don't know that I cared about them the, the way that I should have. And the way I care about them after the fact and after I found myself completely reliant on them for wow. dang near everything. Wow. It changed my, my angle. And so I am both my worst <laughs> and best investor. So do you still ride a motorcycle? Um, not if I want to come home to a wife, kids, and furniture. Um, but, uh, I did jump on one, one more time, uh, you know, I went from a street bike that I jumped on. Yeah. Are you familiar with dirt bikes? You ever been on a CR 500? No, so it's a Honda 502 stroke. That thing is a monster. Yeah. So wow. I jumped on that one to prove I could still ride. And I just rode the hell out of that damn thing to be sure. Cause when you hit that power band, it wants to flip over. So you lean across the handlebars and I just poured the coal to that thing just to prove I could do that. Wrote it back. I gave it back to my buddy. It's like, I'm done. I know I can do this. Eventually, I'll pick up another one. We're in a rural community, but I'm going to honor my wife's wishes. Wow. And I'm going to stay off. 500cc two-stroke. Yeah, that does want to flip over when you when you hit the gas. I, 
I rode one very briefly when I was a stupid college student with a couple of nickels to rub together that I shouldn't have spent on it. I rode one for a month and then I almost got an accident and I was like, never again. This isn't worth being dead or even injured. You know, I prefer not being, <laughs> not being injured. So, uh, yeah. See, dude, by the grace of God, am I walking again? I can do things again. I used to be, uh, a uh, marathoner and uh, climber and all that kind of thing. And I came back from that. I, I went into the hospital, 190 pounds, 7% body fat at six foot one. I rolled out of there at 156 pounds. Wow. Um, I, just, I was just a bone bag when I came out of there and having to heal again. And by the grace of God, I got my, my legs back. I went down. I, I went back into the hills as a, a technical rescuer for the sheriff's office and getting people out of the worst day of their life. And I just retired from that last year, but I wanted to give back with what I still had. But it's, it's, I'm in pain all the time. I still hurt all the time. And uh, I'm sitting here in pain. Man. I just have to deal with it. You move Man. on. And I don't take any of the medication because I don't want my, my guts tore up. And so you just live, you live through it. And if I could look back on a change, I wished I was not the man that I was at the time. And I wouldn't have needed that lesson. I absolutely need that lesson to change my trajectory. Um, but you know, had I been the right person, I probably yeah, wouldn't have had to you're go. You're still with that. us, though. So, That's oh, I ain't leaving this, this way. I ain't leaving this earth early. You don't send a pickup to do a tractor trailer <laughs> job. I like that. So, the last question, my favorite one: What is the most important lesson you've learned in investing? Um, sometimes the best deal is not the deal you're looking at. Um, or you know, another way of putting it: Sometimes the best deal you do is the deal you don't do. So if you feel at all that it's not right, you walk away. Um, But if you feel it's right, you go, you go all in, you jump in there and you get it done and you are, it's, you're going to run into struggles. You're going to run into problems. You don't stop. And as a a comment on that, something we didn't touch on, and I'm sure you can talk for hours on this as well, uh, based on the amount of time that you've been in the industry, you watched the, and experienced the run up to the great recession and then the big crash and all the way through. So I'm sure there are a lot of very important lessons in that from, I don't know whether you were an investor yourself at that point, but you were working with investors and just retail home buyers too. There, there are probably a lot of important things that you observed in there in the, the, the rampant speculation and the enthusiasm and, you know, needing to, needing to get in. It was absolute pure greed is what it was, you know, and the fact that people decided that they needed to have what they deserved. It was it was uh, entitlement and greed and selfishness that got us where we were. You know, when you tell everybody you all deserve this house and everyone's like, yeah, I'm getting that house. You better give it to me. And I remember people standing there that didn't qualify for anything, but they demanded you make it happen because because the government says I deserve this. You know, it was frustrating to watch all that go on. Um, and now, uh, we're starting to see it again. It's not, uh, it, it, the, the veneer of, of, well, just the veneer of society as a whole is only about three days thick when you think about things. <laughs> and then of course, when you start, yeah. you, know, you, take, you take a natural disaster, hurricane Katrina, whatever, you just see people completely flip how they'd normally be in a short period of time. And it doesn't take long. What we're not that many years, you know, 10, 11 years away from when the crash really hit, we're getting back into the same thing again. I cannot believe we're going right back into it. 
But, you know, uh, that's why I love working with real estate investors. They look at the nuts and bolts of it. This is their money going into this. It's not it's not somebody else's money yeah. paying for their house. Wow. We could talk about that for hours, too. Where can people get in touch with you? Where can they find out about the books when they come out? All that good stuff. Uh, so just go to AaronBChapman.com. So A-A-R-O-N, B is in boy, not my middle name. Chapman, C-H-A-P-M-A-N.com. You'll see me sitting in front of the uh, the cabin with that chair, the actual rocking chair right there where I'm sitting now. And that's where it all that where that all starts. You can go to the media page. You'll this podcast will be on there eventually. Uh, you can go check out um, that you know the books will pop out on there on the media side when they're ready. They're in with the publisher now. I've got a couple of I just actually shot the third cover in the other cabin the other day, which I hope it's not too controversial, <laughs> but you know. Uh, it's, it's, uh, we'll see how it goes. You got to punch people in the face sometimes, right? And, um, I'm hoping they're going to be out by the end of the year. And if not, awesome. then I'll keep going yeah, and we'll get them out when they get out. Make it happen. Well, thank you for everything today. It's been a, a great discussion and, uh, appreciate your time here on Passive Wealth Strategies. Pleasure's pleasure, all Taylor. mine. Thanks, to everybody Taylor. out there tuning in, I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you are enjoying the show, Please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It'd be a big help. It helps get the word out to others. If you know someone that could use a little bit more passive wealth in their life, please share the show with them and bring them into our tribe. I hope you enjoyed the show once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day, a great week, and we will talk to you on the next one.